Now I want to launch into a message for fathers. Of course, it's applicable to everyone gathered here. And as I said, I won't ignore the elephant in the room. I've taken note that my last three or four sermons, I've preached almost 50 minutes to an hour. Oh my goodness. I used to preach 25 minutes. Just imagine, if you'd let me stay for many more months, you'll be here for two to three to four hours. Yeah, that can be scary, can it? I'm going to try to stay on course. I've asked them to put me on a clock there. There it is. Good. (laughs) But I want to deliver what I felt very strong in my heart to impart to every boy, teenage boy, every man, everyone who is here as a father, as a grandfather, a message that I, I believe is applicable to you and everyone who's listening in, those of you online joining us. It's not gender restrictive. It doesn't mean this is only for men. This is for all of us. But I believe it's a direct challenge to the men of our congregation. The title of the message is Be a Father. It's because that phrase was deposited into my heart when uh, Diane and I realized we were going to be parents. When uh, she was with child, I began to think and ponder, Lord, we're going to have a little one that's going to join us in our family, and I'm concerned. I'm actually a little fearful that because we're in ministry, some of the stereotype things that happen is you produce what they call the PK, the preacher's kid, or the MK, the missionary kid. It's a stereotype. It doesn't always happen, but it it happens to a good deal that their children go wayward and just get, get disconnected. So I lifted that to the Lord and I said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm about to you know, have a child and I don't ever want that happening. So what do I do? And this is what he told me. He said, Gary, don't be a preacher, be a father. Don't be a preacher, be a father. When I was given the honor of being the pastor of this church, I said, Lord, I'm going to have this conferred upon me for my first nine to 10 years. It was to be an associate pastor working in missions. And then to have the honor 22 years ago to be called the senior pastor. I said, you know, that, that title pastor is being placed upon me. And that's when the Lord again said to me, Gary, don't be a pastor, be a father. He told me to look for every opportunity to look at you, no matter what age you are, my age, but as a spiritual son and daughter, to do everything in me to invest and to call forth your potential and to really father, to have the intimacy of relationship. If I haven't had that opportunity one-on-one with some of you, I, I wish I did, but I know I've had it when I've stood on this pulpit and looked at you and I felt like it was just a conversation that you and I were having. Because for me, I didn't feel I was really called to pastor you, but to father. And so be a father is a phrase that is very sacred, near and dear to my heart. I also reflect on the reality that in the scope of the teachings of both the Old and New Testament, that when it comes to a male, a boy, a man, that all of them 
have had built into them, intrinsically built into them, inherently built into them by God, by design. He has so destined and ordained them to be a father, to be a father. Now, I know that it has to supersede whatever title, career, occupation that you might pursue, even in your own personal assessment of your own unique talents, gifts, and abilities. There is something that God has placed into every boy and man, has designed them with this inherent identity to be a father. Now, obviously, I don't mean that just simply in the sphere biologically, where you have physical offspring. I mean that in the context relationally, that you and I, as men, have been built by God in the broadest sense, to father, to father. And that fathering takes place relationally. Individuals that you can pour into, mentor, disciple. They would come under your godly tutelage and you can deposit into them, like a Paul to a Timothy. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It doesn't matter if you're married or single, if you're actually given the title of parent. No, you have been given this gift from God. He's purposed this in you. He's wired you with that potential to be able to father. And when you look and walk through the Old and New Testament, you discover that to father incorporates being a source. In other words, someone that Another person can come to and find resources. You can be, as a father, a, a, a source. And you're also a, a sustainer, one who holds things together, manages it. And then you're a supporter. You undergird and lift that individual higher and higher so they can fulfill their destiny. And then you're a stabilizer. You just kind of hold everything together. That when they peer into your eyes, they sense and feel that stability. God has given that to us as men. Don't be robbed of that wonderful gift. I'm not de-emphasizing the women here and how you're called to hold on to those sacred attributes as well, but there's something that God focuses in on for us as men that he calls us to father, to truly be a father, to look for those opportunities for those that God will bring around you. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. You're still alive. You're still walking on this earth. You still have the opportunity to father, to give input, influence, mentor, disciple with your words, your actions, your conduct, your behavior, your choices, that the totality of your being would be to fulfill God's intended design, how he purposed you to be. Oh, I know there's unique calls among all of us. I'm not dismantling that reality. I'm just accentuating, God, you've purposed for me to do it. So when he told me, okay, in my own family unit, be a father. In the church, be a father. In your life, be a father. That can continue long beyond whatever title you hold, occupation you're involved in, livelihood you have. No matter what, you carry that on and you do that. So don't, for me, be a preacher, be a father. 
That was his word to me. And I speak it to all of you as men in whatever your area is, young or old. And again, I'm not talking about it biologically because there's some individuals here. I can think of particular ones that have influenced so many in our congregation. Not married, in their 70s, 80s, but their fathers because they've been influencing so many. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, it's very interesting here that Jesus makes the centerpiece of our understanding of God as our Father. He chose to do that. It was a little bit against the culture of the day. Among the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, God had to be referred to in a very high esteemed way. The choice of words like El Shaddai, Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah, those were the appropriate terms. Even the word Yahweh, realize, it's called the Tetragrammaton. It's consonants that the Masoretic text, that's the Masoretes, the scribes, they inserted the vowels just to kind of preserve somewhat of the pronunciation. But they weren't actually to say the word God at all. Imagine, Jesus lands our understanding of God by what he teaches us here in Matthew 6, verses 6 through 9. When you pray, when you connect it to God, when you come into communion with Almighty God, go into your room. In other words, a place of closeness and intimacy. And when you shut the door, you're completely isolated, laser-focused on this reality. Pray to God. Elohim. El Shaddai. Yahweh. Adonai. No. Pray to your Father. Wow. Now I know some of you may have had a negative relationship with your earthly dad. Dismiss it for this moment. May your thoughts be elevated to see the living God as the father, the perfect father, a good father. Pray to your father who is in the secret place. He's meeting you in that position of intimacy. What is the accentuated reality here? Relationship. Relationship. One-on-one. I know there's seven, eight billion on this planet, but in that moment, he's saying, no, be laser focused. Let the centerpiece of who God is be Father. Remember, you've heard me say this. The way you perceive him affects the way you receive him, in turn, represent him to others. Your perception of God. Jesus is cultivating that healthy, godly concept in your mind, but more importantly, in your heart. And says, when you pray, go into that room. And when you've shut the door, pray to your father who in the secret place. And your father who sees, who sees. Jehovah Rohe, the God who sees. In secret, he'll reward you openly. And he goes on in that passage to say, in this manner, therefore, when you pray, when you have this point of connection, this communion, this relationship of intimacy with God, Say, our Father, Father, holy be your name. In other words, it identifies the intent of God to bring holiness into your life, which is a state of righteousness. We don't dismiss that. It impacts your mores, your ethics, but it transcends that because when we speak about holy, it 
It communicates and conveys the understanding that God's intended to make you whole, complete, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually. Every area. He wants to make you whole. Your personality, your gifts, your talents, they don't intimidate him. He doesn't want to strip you of them. He doesn't want them to be buried or hidden. God's not into self-annihilation. Buddhism is. Any study of pure Buddhism is an indication or teaching of just peel away, lose your whole identity. That's not Christianity. It's not self-destruction. It's self-denial, but not self-destruction. And so when the Lord comes and meets with you as our father. He's a good father because he wants you to fulfill the potential he's deposited into you. He wants you more than you even desire to fulfill your destiny. And he'll refine your personality. He'll remove the disease of of sin because he doesn't want that to hamper or impede or hinder or destroy or separate or divide you from what he wants to fulfill through you. Our Father, you are holy and your intent is to make me righteous and whole. What a good Father. Father, God, as I mentioned, Jesus moves it beyond these incredibly sacred titles. I don't minimize how beautiful each one is. God would be referred to as Elohim. It's the Hebrew plural. Some have mocked and said, well, you see, even in Genesis... As God is described as Elohim, it's plural in the Hebrew. It must be an endorsement to polytheism, the worship of many gods. Well, that's a clear indication that you've never studied the grammar of Hebrew because this is what's referred to as the magnificent plural. It's one one embodies such majesty that you do disservice to refer in the singular. So magnify it. Give it the plural the majestic plural, almighty God. Elohim contains that reality. But Jesus didn't use that term. Inviting us to have intimacy with God, he chose the term Father. Father. Adonai, Lord God, Yahweh, ever-present God, because it's rooted in the verb to be. El Shaddai, God Almighty, Jehovah Shalom, peace, Jehovah Jireh, provider, Jehovah Rapha, healer, Jehovah Nisi, the one who encompasses you, envelops you, surrounds you. But yet, Jesus chooses to use the Greek word here in Matthew 6, patir, father. What does it scream to you and to me? What example does it inspire us to follow? Relationship relationship, relationship. In the context of a home unit, if you've got rules, void of relationship, all you'll have is legalism and it'll be the breeding ground for rebellion. You've got to have relationship. Don't be a preacher, Gary. Be a father. Be one who will be there to sustain and support, to undergird, to deposit, but be a voice relationship. I had a student of mine many years ago at Christ for the Nations, a Bible institute that I taught at, and his dad was a very prominent, successful, well-known minister and preacher throughout America. If I mentioned his name, you would know it, and I won't. 
he came into my office and he said, oh, I wish I had a close relationship with my dad. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What has your relationship been like? He said, well, all he talks to me about is ministry and his next crusade. We don't share life together. I said, that, that's heavy. That's hard. But I tell you what, why don't we have a conversation? Let's initiate a call to your dad. He said, oh, you'll never be able to get through. I said, well, let's give it a shot. I'll use your name. You're his son. I won't get through as my name. So we did. Got him on the line, and I said, listen, I'm having a, a good conversation with your son, and I'm not bringing this up to embarrass you by any means, but to capitalize on a moment maybe of him being honest and vulnerable with you, can he talk with you just about his relationship with you? And he said, sure, put him on. So I saw him at first as he sat there in front of me. I saw him start to get a little excited, like he was really talking with his dad. And then it shifted. I saw in his countenance, it revealed to me immediately, it had deteriorated, gone south. And he said, oh, okay, all right, yeah, okay, I love you too, Dad, bye. I said, what happened? He said, well, you know, I, my dad's a minister. What can I say? I said, the highest compliment you could ever pay about your dad is that he's your father. That's what I would want to hear. He said, he, he just wants me to, you know, join him in one of the crusades. My heart broke for him. All he wanted to do, walk with his dad as his dad walked with God. His dad missed that. And I thought, wow, I could get blinded like that too. You and I could get blinded by that. Don't let it happen, fathers. Some of your children may be grown up and gone. You wonder, I can't influence them. I blew it. Don't, don't, don't stay in neutral gear of regret. It'll paralyze you. Look for an opportunity. Be consistent with the opportunities because your authenticity is going to be judged on your consistency. If you give it one shot, well, I tried, gave a call, didn't even want to talk with me. I want to build that, you know, relationship, relationship, relationship. I got caught up so much with my career and lots of problems and making money. I was a good provider. I understand. But now you realize it's much more. So take this opportunity from God. Well, I tried, try again. I tried, try again. Because being consistent is going to communicate a message of authenticity that you really mean it. And you want to renew what was robbed. I just encourage you with that. I want to take something a little bit deeper here. When we call God our Patir Father, there is also three examples in the New Testament of a term given to God that moves it a little bit beyond Patir to Abba. Now we immediately say, well, I know that one. That's the Aramaic term for daddy. So it makes it more intimate. Well, that's true, but not fully. You have to arrive at an understanding of a biblical term by the context and use of that biblical term in the Bible. I want you to see two passages. When from the mouth of Jesus and from the mouth of the Apostle Paul, the phrase is used, Abba, Father. Now this is gonna say something to you about your relationship with God, 
more than Elohim and El Shaddai and Adonai, Patir, he's father, but to take it a step deeper is not so much a revelation of him, but the condition of your heart in a willingness to submit. You see, when the term Abba is used in these three passages in the Bible, it communicates the concept of closeness, rightfully so. You, couldn't, you can say, Daddy, that, that, that's a good equivalence to the Aramaic term, but it's deeper than that. Because it communicates an issue, an attitude, a disposition, a choice of obedience and submission. So you have to be more careful when you use the word Abba. Because you're saying something to God with that. It's a relationship where you're saying, maybe you can superimpose on that word, I'm going to obey you. Father, in this milieu of closeness that you are intimately my father, my dad, I've discovered your heart. So I'm going to yield to your hands. So I call you Abba. Jesus does it. In Mark 14, 36. Listen to now the context. Jesus said, Abba, Father, Patir. All things are possible for you. Nevertheless, now listen to this. Not what I will, but what you will. In the closeness, there was the expression of Obedience, submission. So when you look at the context, you realize what is pregnant in the term Abba is the submission to the Father's will. So when I come to him in prayer, when I'm perplexed and confused, disappointed, even disturbed, when a prayer wasn't answered the way I thought it should have been answered, the person didn't get healed. The finances didn't come in. They ended up getting divorced. I lost the job. I'm disillusioned. I'm confused. My faith has been depleted. At moments like that, I'm going to come into his presence and in the closeness and in the intimacy of that moment and realize that's why in Matthew 6 when Jesus said, when you come before me, you don't have to come with lots of words. Don't do like the pagan with vain repetition because when you come into really the presence of God, he already knows everything. He's omniscient. It doesn't mean you shouldn't articulate your thoughts, but it's just saying don't, the, the focus is not that you have to bring all these words. It's not your words that have to be present. It's your presence that has to be present. You bring your heart and there's moments when it's like I look up and say, God, my head is swimming in a jungle of questions. I don't get it. I'm skeptical, cynical, and I feel like I'm going to fall into unbelief right now. Have you ever been there? Come on, have you ever been there? Those moments, you have to bring your heart, say, but my heart wants to come near you. 
and close to you. I don't want to run from you. I don't want to hide from you. You are almighty God. Your ways are above my ways. I don't fully understand, but I bring my heart to you. That's what he says. That's, that's what you, you bring your heart into his presence. Not a multitude of words. And he's right there with you. You know, the Jewish people get that. They have what we know as Sheva or Shiva seven. That's their mourning, their grieving process. That when someone's hurting and there's been a death, they say, listen, don't bring words to the table. Just for seven days, bring your presence. Just be there with them. Don't say anything. I've walked with some of you through such painful seasons in your life. And I've said, Lord, I want to be able to father them. What do I say? He said, don't say a word. Just be there. Hug them. It almost seems, what is that? It means everything. I know when I've been hurting, Diane's been hurting. Sometimes, don't, don't say anything. To, don't give me any solution, any answer, any explanation, even any counsel. Could you just give me a hug? In those close moments, when you're close and you feel his heart, I promise you, you'll yield to his hands. And you'll be able to then say, Abba, Abba, from my heart you will find submission, surrender, and obedience. That's what it means when you say, Abba. That's what our master did. Not my will, yours be done. It's only underscored again in Romans 8, verse 13 and 15, when the apostle Paul will say, put to death the deeds of your body. In other words, have the action of disconnecting from those things that are at variance with God's will and his ways. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, is the disconnect from our self-will and embracing his will. And we can lift that sacred statement, Abba, Father. Perhaps then, it's the obedient children who use the word Abba. So it is sacred. It is holy. Use it accordingly. If there were before final challenges I'd give to all the fathers that are here and every young man, because we're all called to father, be a father, not just a provider. It's great to provide material things, but it has to transcend that. Be the father, be in relationship, Give them something no one else can give to them. Your time and your heart, your energy, your vision, your words of affirmation and encouragement. They'll know your heart and they'll yield to your hands as well as you see with your heavenly father. Secondly, make, oops, I'm sorry. Did I jump? Um, make disciples of Christ, not a clone of yourself. I know sometimes, you know, you have certain gifts that you had. Maybe you were a great athlete in high school and in college. You didn't quite make it to the pros, but now you want your son or daughter to do it. And you almost vicariously start trying to live through them and push them down a path that God never intended for them. Don't do that. Look at the gifts and talents, the unique abilities that God has given to each of your individual children, be them young or old. Believe in it. Affirm that. Inspire them. Be wind under their wings. 
My mom and dad, like I told you, they were very religious, didn't really come to know Christ till their latter years. But when they looked at each one of us, they saw in each one of us unique gifts and talents and abilities. And that's what they inspired us to do. My mom and my dad, looking at my brother Bruce or Richard or me, Gary or Michael or Jeannie or Gloria. They had a big clan and they looked at each one and we all have walked through life differently, committed to God, connected to his will, but expressing it uniquely. Don't make a clone of yourself. Make a disciple of Christ because you don't want them conformed into your image, but his, right? And be a power source that they could plug into courage that comes from you. And how does courage come? Many times through words of affirmation, words of encouragement, Romans 8, 29, encourage one another and build each other up. Now, one of my love languages is words of affirmation. Another one is acts of service. I'm a pretty good guy to be around, right, Diane? I give words of affirmation and I'm ready to work for you, whatever you want me to do. She's got all the love languages going. I'm one blessed man of God. I'm one blessed, blessed husband. So, but I used to think in fathering a congregation or fathering at home, you know, I wanted to be a power source. I wanted individuals to be able to plug into me and get, get encouraged. But I realized, listen, words of affirmation, encouragement, the very essence of it, the heartbeat, the nucleus of it, is not vain flattery or superficial compliments. It has everything to do, listen to me, of seeing a residing potential within an individual and calling it forth. The Greek word for encouragement, peekaleo, means to call forth. See, God anoints your eyes as a father, as one who's mentoring or discipling or depositing into those in your sphere of influence. God anoints your eyes, if you ask him to, to see the potential that resides within an individual. Not to engender an egotistical, arrogant attitude, but no, to, to say, listen, I see, my eyes have been enlightened, my heart has been illuminated. There's potential that resides within you that is God-given. And I want to encourage you. And the way I'm going to encourage them, it could come even through correction. You're going off course. You're losing some of the ability that God has put into you. You're, you're allowing these circumstances and this sin to disconnect you from your potential. So there could involve correction in words of affirmation because your intent is to call forth their potential. I see this. And this is not vain flattery. I want to see you fulfill your destiny. God has given you that. And you can be young or old, it doesn't matter. There's some of you that are in your 80s or 90s, and I look at you, like I looked at my mom and said, Mom, you still have potential within you. You still have a call from Almighty God upon your life to fulfill. And I know it's through intercessory prayer. Walk the world on your knees, even though you can't move from this wheelchair. God has potential in all of us. That's why the ancient patriarchs, they would look at their sons and daughters and they would bless them. That blessing was to call forth their potential. You are going to fulfill your destiny and influence not just one nation, but the nations on this world. And again, it doesn't mean you're speaking something to, into existence. I don't believe in progressive deification of the human being. No, not at all. 
that skews off course. Not, you know, name it, claim it, whatever you say comes to pass. Absolutely not. Whatever God says comes to pass. When you align your tongue with his tongue, then there's authority. So when you align your tongue with his tongue because you see the potential, then you call it forth. And it's not because you are creating it or making it happen. It's you're seeing God fulfill what he's ordained over his or her life. Do you hear me? Be ministers. Be life. Be, what was I saying right then? Be fathers that encourage. Be a leader, both a wall and a bridge. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. This is your opportunity to say, you know, there's times as a father in whatever area you are doing your fathering, you've gotta be a wall. In a society that says everything is eclectic, be open-minded, um, be relative, you know, things shift and change. There's no absolutes, no. There's places where you have to be a wall. It's a wall that is not restrictive. It's a wall that's protective. And there's times as a father, you have to say, no, I've got to be a wall. I've got to protect you. There's a no here, N-O. But if you come close to my heart, I'm going to tell you the K-N-O-W. I want you to know why I'm saying no. And that comes in conversation. That comes in relationship. But there's times to be that wall. Then there's times to be a bridge like Jesus did for you and for me. He laid down his life so that you could advance. There's times where you have to say, I'm going to lay down my life. I want my uh, roof to become your floor so that you can advance further in God. Be the bridge, be the wall so that you could say to others, now you follow me as I'm following Christ. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your presence that we can say corporately, please just close your eyes and join me here, those of you online. You are our Father in heaven. Holy is your name, Father. But with that, we also want to marry another title that reflects maybe more our heart than yours. Abba, Father. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what circumstances you're contending with. But would you choose right now to say, I want to surrender. I want to submit to you, God. I don't understand, but I can stand even when I don't understand. And I want to be able to say to you, Abba, Abba, Father. How pleasing that would be to you on this Father's Day to say to you, our God, our Lord, Elohim, El Shaddai, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Patir, Abba, Abba, I submit to you. Your will be done in my life, in my present, in my future, in my marriage, in my singleness, in my weeks, 
areas in my strong areas, in my successes and in my failures. Abba, I just feel that my spirit, the most beautiful gift you could give to your father today is to really be able to just move close, move close. The only way you'll do it, that's why it has those two realities, closeness and submission. If you could just say, you don't have to say it out loud, but sometime today to be able to give him that gift and say, Abba, Father, I'm your obedient son.